Welcome to the show. On today's episode, we have Ray Couture. He's a highly regarded astrological counselor and life coach, and he's been involved in astrology for over 45 years. In this episode, we kind of go all over the place. First, we talk about astrology and some specifics on that, and then we kind of talk about the astrology of the United States of America, which is super interesting. It gets a little bit political, but please have an open mind, and I hope you really enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Kaka TV podcast, your source for all things health, happiness, and beauty. Hi, Ray. Thank you so much for being with us here today. Hi, cats. Nice to be here. Appreciate you inviting me. I recently did a reading with you, and I have to admit, I went into it with no expectations, and I just thought it would be more of what normally happens in these readings, which is a lot of back and forth, and I try to remain really stoic so I don't give away anything because I'm afraid people are using my expressions to try to get if they're on the right track or not. (laughs) But with you, I was completely silent. I made no Facial expressions, except for maybe I was like, okay, wow, shocked. (laughs) You just went off for well over an hour. Have you ever been able to turn a complete skeptic into a believer of astrology? I don't know how I could know that for sure. I certainly have uh, encountered people who asked me to do a reading from a complete, well, I don't know about the word complete, but a very skeptical a point of view, but it turned out that when I was able to show them that certain kinds of configurations of the solar system and the relationship among the planets um, reflected something that actually happened in their life, then they said, hmm, you do that again. So then there would be other places along the line. So yes, but uh, qualified, I don't know how completely skeptic they were. Fair enough. I know I have a lot of skeptics listening to the podcast right now, and I used to be one of them for a very long time, and my podcast tends to focus more on female hormonal imbalances. But one thing that I've noticed about women is that healthy women menstruate on the full moon and ovulate on the new moon none of which I do, but healthy generally. And that women tend to give birth on the full moon and the tides move with the moons. So what are some obvious connections between what happens on earth and to humans and how it can be impacted by the celestial? Well, the thing is that people have um, got the wrong context when they try to ask those questions. They're coming from a materialistic point of view, which sees an absolute gulf of nothingness between you and me, which we have to sort of uh, bridge either with the internet or with uh, hugs and kisses or just looking at each other in the room. But the reality is that the cosmos is a living organism cosmologists have been telling us this for 40 or 50 years and the solar system is a cell within that so everything that we're talking about is the product of the sun 
which occupies almost all of the mass in the solar system, leaving very little for the planets. So that when a person is born, they ingest air that connects them to the universal factor of air where all the organic creatures are breathing it, connects you to the sun because the earth is the womb of the sun. So when people talk about I'm one with the cosmos, I'm one, one, one with everything, it's because the solar system has transmuted itself into me, into you, into every single human being, every plant, every vegetable, every insect, the earth itself. Your creator rises with the sun every day because your creator is the sun. The sun created the earth. You want to call sun God? Fine. It's okay. Many of the ancients thought of the sun as something that emerged from the bowels of the earth because from their perspective on the horizon when it came up, looks like it was coming up from the earth. And since it orbits, since the earth orbits with the sun in the middle of it, yeah, it is in the middle of the earth. If, if you see that the earth is more than this ball of rock and stuff, it's, it's the orbit of the earth is the earth too. So the whole ring that the earth is contains within it the the Venus and the Mercury and the sun. And astrologically, the Venus represents the idea of your, how you value yourself. So the original uh, idea you were talking about is that the connection between a human being and the solar system um, is, is absolutely very complete. You're, you're not only in the solar system, but you are the solar system transmuted into this physical body. You know, um, there's a thing in Zen that says, uh, I ask you this idiotic question, who are you before you were born? Well, the only answer to that is that you were the cosmos. The cosmos comes to life through its agencies, the sun. The suns are animating whatever is in the arrangement of planets and objects that are tied to it by orbital uh, requirements. It can't fall in, it can't get away, you're stuck in this orbit. So the Earth is in that kind of relationship with the sun where the sun manifests itself on the Earth. So the connection between a human being and the sun and the solar system from an astrological perspective and of cosmological perspective and when you get down to quantum physics you know this idea of matter is just boom it's gone it's all energy you're a bundle of energies all organized in some way to feed and support one another all of these organs within your body heart lungs liver all of it solar system is the same it's all set up to support the production of life on this planet. Maybe that's a long answer, sir. I had a strange question. Because when you mentioned when the baby breathes its first breath of air, then that's when the soul comes in. So I had this thought about ideas because you'll see there'll be an invention made somewhere and a hundred other people will be like, I thought of that 10 years ago. I thought of it yesterday and they didn't do anything with it. So are thoughts kind of like souls or spirits or something like that? Let's say you want to invent something and 20 million people had the same idea, but they didn't do anything about it. They didn't 
take it to fruition? And then the one person does. Well, um, really, that is answered a lot by quantum physics. Let's see how to describe that. Well, for instance, uh, astrologically, um, person born at a time when the sun is in Gemini, um, the sun being in Gemini is a collective reality. We're all using Gemini consciousness when the sun is passing through Gemini. But an individual will will use that in their own particular way, conditioned by whatever the circumstances are around. So a thought from a quantum physics point of view, um, consciousness is the ground of being. And consciousness is what you're swimming in. And your brain is like a, a gill that a fish has. You know how a fish will, the water pass through the gill and it takes out the oxygen from the water. You're surrounded by consciousness and so consciousness all of a sudden has this collective idea that, wow, we should do this. And then individual pick it up all at the same time in a different way, conditioned by their local environment and their own mindset too. A lot of times people who are so skeptical of anything that anything comes into their brain, that, you know, they dismiss it. Oh, that's, that's just nonsense. So that's how it works. Do we know where astrology first started? Which cultures first got astrology? <clears throat> well, it all depends <laughs> on what you mean by astrology. Because uh, astrology... Um, is derived from the word astro, which has to do with stars. And logi is the logical meaning of the stars. So if you just break it down that way, it's impossible to tell the Chinese, the Indian, the Hindu culture, the European culture looked at the heavens, stars, in the same world, the same sky, and saw different things. The Greeks decided to draw little figures connecting the stars into constellations of some sort and gave them meaning, uh, which in many cases turned out to be not far from accurate. But there's no way of telling because it all sort of happens in a collective atmosphere where everybody's looking at the stars. And it's just like you and a group of friends get together and decide that if you stare at the wall long enough, you'll start to see some images. Eventually, people start saying, yeah, I see them. And then they say, well, my image says, oh, you need to go back to this business of menstruation on a full moon. Not menstruation, but ovulation on the new moon and pregnancy on a full moon or something. But really, there was a couple of authors, women authors, who 50 or 60 years ago, wrote a book about the connection between the moon cycle and the woman's cycle, egg cycle, ovulation cycle. And they referred to some Russian experiments. And they, they really decided to, that they could create uh, safe birth control methods by including the angle of the sun and the moon in a woman's chart from the sun to the moon or moon to the sun, whatever the angle is, 
And whenever that occurs in the sky between the sun and the moon, the woman is likely to get pregnant if she has intercourse, regardless of whether it's the full moon or the new moon. But the main cycle is the new moon, full moon with regard to the release of an egg, the ovulation. Sorry to bring it back, but I wanted to say that back then, but we went over to this. What can an astrology reading tell you about yourself and what can it not tell you about yourself? Well, it can tell you why you were born. It can tell you uh, what your path in life is with regard to its quality and how your life will unfold in a certain way. It can indicate to you what issues and uh, realities you're going to have to face, whatever changes you might need to make. It can not tell you, I don't care what astrology says, about when you're going to die. It cannot tell you for certain how many kids you're going to have. It can't tell you um, whether or not you're going to get the flu or whether or not you will get married. It can indicate that getting married might be a really good thing, but it doesn't say you have to. Everything in astrology is set on the nature of the reality that you are and your relationship to the reality around you. But you always can decide, and many people do, not to do what your chart said would be the best thing to do. And for some people, it doesn't make a bit of difference, at least insofar as they show outwardly. But astrology has a real deep microscope into the inner self. And it's that uh, inner self that when I'm doing an astrological reading, I'm talking to. And the inner self is sort of in a competitive arrangement with the ego. Because the ego is really nothing more than who your parents thought you were supposed to be. And so you, the soul, the spirit, that is the solar system, over time in a human state, spirit on a human journey, the human psyche develops an ego. It's uh, sort of implanted in the psyche, almost like an egg is implanted in the side of a uterus. Oh, except with the, with the ego getting attached to the psyche like that, there is no way of impregnating that ego any further. It needs to be cleaned out. It needs to be transcended or transformed. And that's what life is about being born, developing an idea of who you are and transforming it into what your spirit needs you to be. The world and former your parents need you to be this or that. Your spirit needs you to be something else. And the ego has to play the game of trying to become somebody in order to be able to put food, a roof over the head, and blah, blah, blah. And then get all that done, become the greatest whatever in the world, and you're empty. Because your ego still needs to serve the spirit for its complete satisfaction and fulfillment. What are some (laughs) life purposes that you've seen in charts? A person who needs to be a doctor. I've seen people who uh, are born to be nurturers, nurses. A lot of them don't want to be nurses. They're just really, until they become nurses, 
And then it's a whole different because they have an ego opinion of nursing. Oh, I hate, oh God, the hours are just awful and blah, blah, blah. It's all ego-centered, you know, like against their real purpose in life. And I've seen people who needed to be musicians and were psychiatrists. I have a doctor who's wanting to learn Reiki, an allopath. So the life purpose, again, um, is to go through whatever stages of development, the challenges, the easy part, the hard time, to put it all together in sculpting your earthly identity, your earthly function. And that's the life purpose, to become somebody that the world needs by fulfilling your own spiritual core so that you can be what the world needs. What are some good questions that people should ask an astrologer? Because I remember at the end of the reading, you're like, do you have any questions? And I was completely blank because I didn't know what you could answer based off the charts. Or what I hadn't already answered. Yeah. By the amount of time. Well, I, to me, a good question is anything that you're left with at any point in the middle of the reading, at the beginning, at the end, that you're not sure about what was meant or anything that makes you feel like, you know, wow, this is too hard. I, I can't do this. On the other hand, those kind of questions can come from somebody who got a chart reading that wasn't accurate. And so they, they might have be a little off about trying to figure out rocket, you know, to really put two and two together and have them really come up to four instead of 4.5 or something. So there, there are no good questions. They're all good questions. There's no bad questions, I should say. Whatever. Even if you go blank, you say, well, I don't know. What should I ask? I don't know. How do you feel? Well, I feel pretty good. I, I'm, I'm a little scared to feel that good, though. Is that really what I have to do? Well, what do you think? Yeah, it does feel that way. Okay, well, the answer to your question is that you need to do what you feel is right for you. If you have enough information about what it takes to drive from Miami to uh, New York, then uh, any question you might have is about the quality of that trip. Is there any place I can stop for good food? Where, where is there a hotel along the way? So if I'm talking to somebody and they're required in some kind of way to overcome a serious sense of self-doubt. And there are certain things they have to do in order to do that. And they ask, you know, well, is it necessary to, to do that? Yeah, maybe you have to forgive somebody because um, they did something to you, but you knew that you caused them to do it or that's what you thought. So the idea is look at this. Did you really cause, do you, can you make anybody do anything? What are you, God? No, you can't make somebody do something. Their reaction to you being who you are, whether you're right or wrong, is not the issue. The issue is you didn't cause them that. So there's no reason to have guilt. But yet people have tons of it, especially in, in, in the Western culture. It's just replete with guilt complexes because everybody is in such a repressed state. You can't walk down the street naked. Why not? Why not? In some cities, it's not against the law unless somebody says, I'm offended. Then they tell you to put your clothes on. 
That's just a weird example, but there are many others that are very similar. There's no reason you can't do it. Why can't I take a nap on the sidewalk? Why can't I sleep overnight in the lobby of this hotel? They're open all night. Everybody else is sleeping in there. It doesn't cost any money to sit on the couch. There's no, you know what I mean? So there are so many different realities that as human beings, we are completely compressed and pushed and shoved into little blocks of identity that occupy maybe a piece of our identity and the rest of it is compromise that we make just to be able to stay out of jail (laughs) or be, you know, not lose your friends. We always think of the sun sign as the most important sign. Is that really the case? Well, in a way, yeah. But the problem is that the way that it is most important is that it's the animator. It's like the plug that goes into the electricity and turns your computer on. Not the plug, but the electricity. So the energy that the sun represents has to be used in a way that corresponds to the configuration of all the other energies that the solar system uses to manifest themselves in a human being. So while you might have um, a sun in Sagittarius, you might have a rising in Capricorn. And in Sagittarius, you might have Chiron. So your whole higher consciousness and desire to understand or believe in or deal with what you call the truth is like not possible. Person is injured or wounded. They have to respond with an inner response of strength and growth in response to that that business. So while the sun is in Sagittarius, it may be the most important thing. The fact that Chiron is conjunct with it mitigates it. So which is more important, the Chiron that mitigates it or the sun or both? Everything has equal value, but the most important planet is to take the sun out. There's nothing. The planets go, they fly away. There's nowhere. They're just floating in space, dying, of course, because they're no longer engaged in the energies of the sun. A while back, I was reading that there was a new astrological sign. Yes. Is that real? And what are your thoughts on it? Well, there's nothing new about that constellation. But the problem is that the people who are pushing this idea, the Western mentality does not fully understand the difference between Jyotish uh, or Vedic uh, astrology and tropical astrology. Vedic astrology is based on the constellations of the zodiac. In other words, the stars that are, you know, 500 light years away. Stars in that constellational sense. And the tropical astrology does not generally take them into account except in certain circumstances where it seems appropriate in a, for a given reason. But the tropical astrology is based upon the cyclical relationship between the Earth and the Sun. Because after all, the Sun is a star, and it's the closest one to us. Mean something a little bit more intimate for humans than constellations. So the people who don't know the difference, they don't know that tropical astrology doesn't deal with the constellations at all, whereas Vedic astrology only 
there are all kinds of constellations along the zodiacal belt. And this other one that you're talking about is just one of them that are, is not used by Vedic astrologists either, except in very rare circumstances where it's called upon. It's necessary to get a full picture from a Vedic perspective. So, you know, when people hear this and see it um, on Instagram or the internet in some kind of place, uh, they don't know. It's, oh, yeah, look, there's a whole constellation that we're not taking into account. Those astrologers are all off. And I'm not a Sagittarius. I'm a Scorpio. I'm not a Capricorn. I'm a Sag- you know, it's a, a total confusion. There are, if you want to have 13 signs of the zodiac, fine, as long as there are 13 constellations and they relate to Vedic astrology, then ask the Vedic astrologers if they use that other one or not tropical astrology doesn't doesn't need to um the occasional opportunity uh to answer a question about timing you can use any star uh that shows up in your tropical sign for timing sure just like you can use you know um a a uh, Set setting on your phone to wake you up at uh, 7 a.m. You can use the constellations for that. But astrology on a tropical level is what is the relevance of conscious energy to human beings, to life on this planet? That should be more important than whether or not the gods in the heavens, if they are gods at all, are making life uh, easy or difficult for us, laughing at us or teasing us, all this kind of stuff. Now, that comes out of many thousands of years of people telling stories while they're gazing at the stars and writing their treatises on this or that with regard to them. And they've all enamored through Hinduism to see a fragmenting of the oneness of spiritual God or consciousness or divinity. Uh, They see it as a God for this and a God for that. And they're all little demigods and they have their little battles and so forth. I'm not going to say that's not possibly true, but it isn't something that I use. And this whole question of confusing the two is what leads to um, people posting that kind of stuff on the internet and people questioning themselves as to whether or not they're the right sign or writing their astrologers say, what do you mess up on me for? Since I was a little kid, all the say hippie type people would say that the age of Aquarius is coming. What is that? And is it actually coming? (laughs) Well, yes, there is always a transition period where it starts to come, but um, it's not strong enough in the minds of the people who are alive and who are leadership positions and churches and nations and governments and nonprofits, all of that kind of, they're not ready. They want it, but they haven't got their act together themselves yet because they haven't. So, It comes when humanity is able to 
make it happen. In other words, uh, what uh, the age of Aquarius is, is when the constellation in the background is Aquarius, when spring happens, the spring vernal equinox. When the Aquarius constellation is in the background, that's when it begins. But on the way there, it takes 7,000 years or so uh, to go from Taurus to Aquarius in terms of the constellational backgrounds. And the difference between the length of time in each is that the constellations are not all the same length. That's another issue I have with Vedic astrology. You got, you know, 30 days in a month most of the time. What are you going to do with the last six or seven? Well, they assign it to the next constellation, I guess. I don't know. Not an expert. <laughs> don't quote me on that. Can you tell us a little bit about transpersonal astrology in the simplest way possible? After you have achieved that mythological self-satisfaction fulfillment of success on a biological level and made a transition to the sociocultural level where you're just really doing well in the society and the culture and you just succeeded in getting your third PhD eminently successful and you feel empty. A lot of astrology goes toward trying to get a person to be able to be successful in the culture that they're in. Transpersonal astrology is to address that person who has achieved or in a way maybe done everything they could and completely failed to achieve. So they feel empty for two reasons. They are empty and they failed. Or the person who succeeded and still feels empty and wants to know why. There's a spiritual purpose to your life. And you can fulfill that spiritual purpose only so far with economic or financial success or cultural success in the sense of like you're happily married for 89 years and all of this. The transpersonal is based on the idea that every individual person is part of something bigger than themselves. And they may or may not be aware of that during the period of time when they're being so successful in the material, so-called material world. The transpersonal is fundamentally quite more focused on spiritual or spiritualism, if you will, because transpersonal astrology recognizes the supremacy of the spirit. It's the spirit that's on this human journey. And so we have to focus on the needs of the spirit. But to get there, you have to feed the body. You have to satisfy certain aspects of the mind. You can't be a babbling idiot. You have to be able to do whatever you can do. But look at humanity. Look at, there are 85,000 people right now on the planet who are displaced out of their homes, out of their ability to feed themselves, to have access to water. What a travesty. Humanity's doing this to itself because it needs to be transpersonal. What is humanity missing? What is it we're not fulfilling? Our spiritual sense of being humanity, a single organism spread around the planet. Bees can do it. Bees have a group mind. When the sun goes down, it could be that humanity is at 
a stage in the evolution of life on this planet that we need to be more than human. We need to be more maybe like bees, where we are one-minded about what we need to do to have a decent symbiotic relationship with the planet. The ancients knew or felt, and what I believe is true, that the environment is as much you as you. And they treated it that way. We, not so much. Trash over here, plastic over there, needles over here. You know, we're polluting because we have this idea that the earth is ours to subdue or pollute or destroy. No big deal. Except we're acting like a virus, destroying our host. So a lot of things have to change. And the the reality of transpersonal is that my own personal wishes and desires and comfort are subservient to the need of humanity to live uh, lightly on the planet and give back what you take from it. So transpersonal is a huge transition from ego consciousness to spiritual endeavor to be one with humanity, to see yourself as humanity and start living environmentally with a conscience. That's one part of it. Not too simple, I guess. Mm, Interesting. I found you from Patrick Bet David's podcast. And on that, you mentioned something about how countries have their own astrology type charts. Can you tell us what the United States chart has in store for us? Has in store? You're talking about predictions? Yeah, predictions or like maybe explaining what happened in the last two years. Well, what's been happening uh, for a while has to do with the need for us to remove, replace, if you will, everything that is obsolete about what it means to be independent, what it means to be a country. And the reason I'm saying that is that the orbit of Pluto is 248 years straight up if you're looking at it from the position of the sun. It's a fair amount more than that from the position of the Earth because of retrogrades and so forth. Pluto's function is to eliminate what is obsolete by replacing it with what is useful, meaningful, and relevant. And Pluto's function also is in Capricorn at the birth of the United States at which time the sun was in Cancer, July 4th. So the idea of Cancer has to do with nurturing, with feeling, with generation of this emotion of independence, feeling free. And that is, you know, opposite Capricorn, which is the opposite of feeling free in many ways. It's restricted to certain duties and obligations and structures. And it's not bad. It's not negative. It's the difference between feeling and the structure of a arena within which you can feel what you feel. The Capricorn position of Pluto at the birth of the United States is pretty much about where Pluto is now. It's gone through one cycle. 
It's showing us everything that we wanted to do that have not yet done. And it's also recreating, revising, reprising the whole revolutionary fervor that existed then, but now for a different reason, a revolutionary fervor to overthrow it. Because what democracy has done through the birth of the United States has sidelined the autonomous kind of individuals who want to have, you know, a, a sort of an oligarchy. Because there's all kinds of ego needs, and one of them is to be in control and be in control of everyone else and so forth and be the top dog and this and that. Now, this country has turned all the way toward capitalism, which is based on competition. So it pits us one against the other to achieve this great prize called money, stability, safety, all of this business. And the idea of that is that now the revolutionary thing is on both sides. What stimulated the revolution in 1776 with Pluto where it is now was the oppression of the British king who refuses to allow the colonies to print their own money and charged them 30% interest for every pound that was actually brought over on ships and distributed to the local financiers for distribution to the colonists for work performed and so forth. So they had to work for it. And the minute they got one pound, it was 30% less in its value at the store or at the wherever they had to buy things with. So this is what the Tea Party brought them. This is what made the Boston Tea Party happen. They threw, they threw the tea out. We're not going to buy your tea and so forth. So what we can expect is that this battle that we've seen between the Trumpists who are tired. They want a big, strong man like Putin or like uh, Kim Jong-un or like Xiaoping in China. Or they want to return. They want the security of a big, strong man, a big daddy telling us what to do. A lack of faith in the people to be able to run their own lives will lead, lack of faith in themselves will lead to worshiping. So what I can expect is that the Trump uh, idea, the Trumpists are here to stay, and they're going to be constantly biting and eating away like rats on a piece of cheese. What we have to do is counter with the opposite. And of course, uh, as a country, that's hard to do because we have split into two parties, Democrats and Republicans. And the Democrats seem to need to try to satisfy some of the Republicans, and Republicans never need to satisfy the Democrats. So as long as the Democrats uh, want to just try to, you know, get a few extra votes out here, and then they don't turn around and really revolutionize. Socialism just means a government taking care of the people. It's its function. Whereas for the Republicans, the, the job of government is to 
support business because business is the engine of progress and progress is the engine of taking care of people. Yeah, well, why is homelessness so far out? Because it's dog eat dog and prices rise, rise, rise and houses go up, up, up and people can't afford it. And there they are in the streets. So I think that where we're headed is toward a new revolution. And it really started with the idea of the Green New Deal. We have to really become environmentally viable. And as a capitalist country, solely capitalist, only focused on what makes a profit, not on is it good for the planet. Um, we're, we're in for another 10, 20 years of this kind of back and forth. But gradually it'll change. So what do you think about the people that don't agree with either side and are kind of caught in sort of a limbo of maybe they like a little bit of this side and a little bit of that side and they feel both sides are insane? Well, they're like going through an ice cream parlor, taking a taste of this and a taste of that. They're just having fun. They're not responsible. I wouldn't I, I wouldn't um, take that group of people as someone that I think indicates anything at all other than their own lack of commitment to life, except their own, just their own little individual isolated self. I'll have a little Democratic this and I'll have a little Republican that. That's what I think of them. Interesting. Switching gears, another question about when it comes to the signs and introverts and extroverts, are there certain signs that are more introvert and certain signs that are more extrovert? Well, the potential for introversion is hard to really pinpoint to a sign. I know cancer energy has some struggle, amount effort to actually express their feelings. And that may make them look like an introvert to others. But you get them alone or in a one-on-one -on -one relationship and they're popping off all over the place. So introvert kind of contains the idea of not being social. And social for an introvert usually means, you know, hanging out with more than one person. They can be somewhat introvert in a one-on-one, -on -one, somewhat extrovert on a one-on-one, -on -one, but they will be fully introvert in a larger social context of going to a party. What? Me go to a party? Eh, I don't know. Maybe. And if they do, they usually just hang around and if somebody talks to them, they'll say something. Uh, but, you know, generally speaking, they won't really get deeply engaged in a whole lot. So the sign cancer can do can get that way. Scorpio, on the other hand, in a group situation, can also be extraordinarily quiet. They're very, very private kind of consciousness. And so they, they don't necessarily like a lot of social activity. Some of them do, because their sun sign is not the whole picture. You know, you have a Scorpio with a Sag rising. Well, they're out 
they're doing their dirty work, <laughs> having a great, wonderful time undermining a whole bunch of stuff just to see what will happen, investigating this and that, trying to find the truth and talking a lot and getting into conflicts of all kind. Whereas the Scorpio would rather not. They'd rather not get too engaged with too much. They don't really want people to know too much about them. They do want people to know about them, but only the surface. It takes a long time to get down to the truth of a Scorpio life. The same with cancer. Pisces, they would love to be introverts if they could because they're boundless. You know, they could use a good Saturn right on their sun to give them some sense of, oh, this is me and that's not. Oh, oh, I see. Whereas generally they're just completely inundated by everything around them and they get used to it and they'd be quiet. You ask them a question though, or when they want to ask a question, it it, it gets kind of uh, circuitous kind of question. You go through all kinds of stuff to finally get to the issue. So... I, I'm not sure there's any hard and fast way to see and know which sign will be an introvert or an extrovert. You take Patrick, for instance, and he has a ton of stuff in Scorpio. So he relates charmingly to people. So they will open up to him so he can investigate and find out about them. That's how he grew. That's how he came to understand who he is and what he's doing. He investigated how he could actually be engaged in a relationship with the world and succeed and develop and grow. He had to figure out what's the secret, what's underneath all this stuff. And it turns out to be self-love, turns out to be self-respect, self-belief, faith in self, all of that, just being engaged. So an introvert generally is not quite as engaged with who they are in terms of their ability to just put it on the table. So they have cancer and Scorpio have that. The only other one that could be that way um, is Virgo. Because Virgo is a helping sign, service, but a person with the sun in Virgo can be plagued with self-esteem issues, which could keep them quiet in situations where they could really help or they might be really needed. So the propensity for introversion is a function of ego dissatisfaction or ego doubt issues and ego uh, kinds of um, fear of rejection. That's another one for Scorpio, and it could be a fear of rejection because Scorpio privately knows all what's wrong with them which is nothing, but they think it's plenty. So they are more introverted while they appear to be extroverted, but they're not. So as far as, as, far as I could really comfortably say about introversion and extroversion. So I had a friend that she ended up dating someone who was born on the same day at the same time and in the same hospital in the same part of the world and everything. So have you yeah. ever heard of something like that with their charts being basically the same? Isn't that yeah. dating yourself? No. Those two were born of different parents. 
And so the genetic, uh, biological genetics of these two people are radically different. So there's differences on a biological level are going to be the dominating factor for at least 28 years. So then the purpose that is assigned or indicated by the astrological chart comes to be fulfilled in the lives of people who are radically different within themselves on a biological, therefore mental, and social scale. So they're going to be differently able to handle what the purpose of their life is because there's a spiritual purpose that they both share. But to be able to fulfill that spiritual purpose means that they have to transcend and become transpersonal to their own biological, sociological upbringing, not to mention the biological inheritance, getting half of dad's DNA and half of mom's DNA and all of the potential for success and failure on a physiological, uh, psychological, mental, physical levels all in there. And they're really, really different. So that's what attracts them, the biological difference. I don't mean boy and girl. I mean the totality of the roots of what produced these two flowers. These two flowers have the same relationship to the spirit, but they have a different path to get there. Does that make sense? Mm. Okay. So it's not entirely like dating yourself. Not entirely dating yourself, because, I mean, after all, wouldn't you want to date yourself? There you go. <laughs> nice try, though. Pretty close. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So you had mentioned that the United States is a cancer. And I was, you know, researching a little bit online, and I'm sure all those things are wrong, but let's say it's not but that the FBI had a study that cancers are the most murderers and the most violent murderers on like their records. Does that mean the United States is one of the most violent murderers or has the potential to be? Well, uh, have you read the headlines lately? <laughs> yes. Well, there's your answer. If people are not allowed to feel independent, you know, from unnecessary restrictions and limitations and so forth, if they're not allowed to develop as they ought to be, then you get the feeling, which is the generation of feeling, which is cancer. It generates water because it's a water sign. Water begins cancer. Water is emotion. If the emotion is crammed back into the person, it's going to come out at some point in some way. And so all in all, the population of the United States is a cancer population. It is extremely emotional. Have you, have you noticed? <laughs> it's extremely emotional, extremely prejudicial, racist. Cancer energy in its repressed form can be very racist because it's cancer. It's the foundation. It's my people and it's emotion. And that emotion generated by cancer energy 
is concentrated in Scorpio, which can be involved in secretive stuff. The cancer energy becomes distorted. And in Scorpio, it has to be kept secret because it's distorted. And it might be illegal and this, that, and the other, but the Scorpio can really strike. And then, if it isn't held into account there, it becomes distributed in Pisces. Now, Pisces, you know, is on the positive side, agape, love, you know, unconditional. But in a distorted population, a population where the consciousness is off kilter, really lost in some way, but deeply trying to regain a sense of my life. The Pisces thing, instead of dealing with the idea of agape love, you deal with the agape hatred, unconditional hatred. Drive first, drive your car through a group of people who are protesting something or other. So, yeah, that explains a good deal of why uh, it happens. But it, it doesn't mean that a cancer is fated to be killers. It means that if you, if you hurt them, if you really repress a population, a cancerous, a cancer-like population, what happens in this country is based on cancer ruled by the moon or children, the moon representing children as one of the archetypal images of cancer or of the moon. Look at, what, look at what's going on with children. Woman can't have an abortion. It's okay, put her in the world and we won't allow you to feed her properly or anything else because, I mean, after all, this is capitalism. You should earn your living. On the other hand, we love life and we want it to really be born, so you can't do that. We're going to take that right away from you. See the repressed nature of that kind of attitude. It's the cancer energy that has been twisted into this idea that they that only life within the womb is sacred. Out here, anything goes. War, fine. Poverty, fine. Hunger, fine. Capitalism is what matters, and let the nonprofits take care of the collateral damage. That's my view. I think the problem that most people have when it comes to doing all these services to make the country a little bit more, I guess, to, to the Democrat side would be all the government agencies are so inefficient and they're kind of capitalistic as well. So in reality, you give the money to the government, it, you're still giving it to capitalists. It's like, what, like a thousand times more for a pen if the army buys it than if a person buys it? Well, that, that's, not, that's not the government alone. It's really the capitalists who are stealing taxpayer money from the government because the government is so preoccupied with so many things that these people found a way to just slip it in as line item number 2,410, toilet seat, gold, $5,000. That's how they do it. The idea of the government, per se, 
is supposed to be to serve and protect the people, the whole population. Now, this business of the inefficiency of the bureaucracies, it is capitalism that is doing that, making it inefficient as possible. Listen to Thomas Jefferson, farewell address after his last presidency. Quote, do not under any circumstances ever allow corporations to exist in America, because if you do, they will destroy the republic. That's what's going on. The government is just a small corporation among larger corporations. Many of the corporations don't pay taxes for three, four, five years in a row, and they make billions of dollars profit, not a penny to the government, because it's a competitive corporation, the government. Corporations see the government as a corporation they're in competition with. And a competition means either the money goes to the government or it goes to us, because the only thing important in capitalism is money. Capital is another word for money. So whether it's Democrat or Republican isn't the issue. The issue is that the government has been reduced to one of the small players on the international, let alone the domestic uh, arena. Uh, Microsoft is more powerful than the federal government. Amazon is more powerful than the federal government. The federal government can only set policy, and if their corporations don't like it, then the government is forced to change it. So we're in that kind of situation where we need a revolution. We need to change the laws. Change, and and not, that's not going to happen without a fight. One side of people who are neither Republican nor Democrat, they're just insurrectionists and they're ego trips and they think they're fighting for peace and democracy and all that. And they're just fighting. The, they might as well go fight for uh, Lukashenko in, in the in Belarus, uh, white, white Russia. These people are the same people who were brown shirts for Hitler before he came to power. They are what allowed Hitler to keep going. So as long as we allow these people to do what they do and get away with what they do without any, any real consequence, well, that's only half the battle. The other half is what are we going to do to rearrange our set of understanding of who are we, what are humans, and what is their role on the planet, and how can this certain group of people you know, live in harmony and cooperation with other little groups of people. But you see, we haven't evolved enough. Humanity is not caught up, is not as, as advanced as its technology. Technology has gotten out of hand. It's beyond, we haven't evolved enough. The need is for uh, the evolution of the human species to a level of being able to recognize the unity of humanity on the planet as our goal, is a way we have to operate. And if the only goal that we have is to, to try to determine whether it's going to be Democrats or Republicans that run the government, it's the government itself that has been shrunk. Oh, 
that's why the Republicans don't want to give it so much money. It's more the Republican Party is another corporation. Democratic Party is another corporation. So I really don't see any real future in either party. I see that what is going to have to happen is a new spiritual political entity will need to come up out of all of this and take the country in a new direction. We're still animals, territorial animals. We're apes with self-awareness. Our vision is still tied to protecting our little piece of the territory. And the apes are at least uh, friendly. And they don't attack unless being attacked. So um, until we uh, transcend our animal self, and the only way to do that is incorporate your spiritual consciousness, leave your animal alone for a while, allow your spirit to mitigate those animal instincts. An animal in you wants to take, for example, the animal instinct, this guy who shot somebody who happened to be wandering through his backyard. The kid was lost, had been to a party, was drunk, just trying to find his way home. And he happened to be walking in the near the back, in the right close or in the backyard of this person who saw him. Instead of saying, hey, get out of here, shoots him, bang. And then goes out there and sees him on the ground and shoots him again, bang. And then ties a rope to him and attaches him to a truck and drags him 500 yards till he dies. Territorial. It was my house. Florida law. Stand your ground. See? It's all animal. We're still not evolved enough to call ourselves human. Some of us are. Gandhi. Krishnamurti. You know, not only spiritual people. All of the people who are working in NGOs around the world, people who are medics with no borders, doctors with no, no borders. And so there are a lot of people that are living that life in the midst of a life that they're surrounded by all of this nonsense. And they're working hard to heal the wounds that are being created even while they're healing uh, these wounds. People are going into Africa now, trying to bring more vaccines. Why is it that Africa is only 2%? We're approaching 65, 67%. Racism. See, again, territory, separation, differences. I think we need to pay a lot more attention to these things in our daily life so that in our conversations with people, we can begin to say, don't you think that we need to change the way we do things in, in this country? And of course, the answer will be, well, maybe and yes. And so what are you going to do about what can I do? Well, I, I do have um, neighbors and I can talk to them and uh, maybe they won't agree with me, but at least they'll know what I believe, and then they might even talk to other people. In other words, you can participate in creating a communication scenario where you're talking about the need for making a transition 
from a capitalist country to a spiritual goal of serving humanity as a people. When we're so happy to spread democracy, why can't we spread the value of humanity? Oh, we did that. Remember? Remember the League of Nations, Woodrow Wilson? One of the most racist presidents we ever had. He's made Trump blush. Oh, the, oh, well, then we had the United Nations. Yeah, aren't they a great outfit? Yeah, they really are. But they had a security council in 1948. All white, rich nations decided that, oh, the Jewish people need to be brought back into good condition. So how are we going to do that? Oh, well, we're going to go steal a piece of Palestine and give it to the Jewish people to form their own state. What are we going to do with the Palestinians? Oh, I don't know. They'll, they'll adjust. You know, yeah, they adjusted. They started fighting. There was a long war. Why didn't they give them a piece of Germany? That's who did it. That would be too right or too white. And you see, they have to go and get after people of color instead of admitting their own fault. So all of that is, is at play here. We have to see it without necessarily feeling all depressed about it. But that's the past. Even though it still exists, it is the past. And we need to focus on the future, on what we want our life to be like. So be the change you would like to see. And if you be the change you like to see, the way you be is different. And the vibrational energies that come out of that difference causes a difference in other people. And then you reach a herd immunity point where you're immune to the past now and you're ready to move forward and can move forward because the whole herd is moving forward. So there's going to be a period of turmoil, you know, between this and that. We've already been through the opening part of it. I'm sure there's more to come. I don't mean to say that's good or bad, but it's an indication. It's like the way the wind's blowing. Yeah, there'll be more. But it's also telling us, well, that's the reason why we have to wake up to a more positive role for ourselves as a people, as a country on this planet. And while, you know, the politicians say, well, we're trying, you know, when we have these enemies out there, the Russians and the Chinese and so forth. And then they turn around and tell us, oh, capitalism, most wonderful thing. It has to be. It provided so much in lifting people out of poverty and blah, blah, blah. That's why people who are leaving Honduras and Guatemala and places are coming to where, why do you suppose you're coming here? Because here's a land of opportunity. Yeah. Sure it is, because we grow rich at the expense of these other countries. That's how it happened. So there's a little guilt trip here on the part of sending Kamala to Guatemala, because we should have been engaged with South America and Central America on a level of cooperative economic plans all along. But they're not white. That's why. So racism is the core hurt and damage that has kept this country from moving forward. And as we slowly wake up to that, we also have to slowly, quickly wake up to the damage that racism has done by using our democratic forces around the world to put people's revolution against 
oppression down in favor of supporting dictators like we did in Cuba for so long or in Nicaragua for so long or Guatemala for so long. And on and on it goes. Our policies are designed by the corporations, not by the United States government. Obamacare, who wrote it? The insurance companies. What they would accept from the government as payment under the circumstances, this, that, and the other. They had to still be in control, and they still are, but they're limited. But they don't mind because they figured it would be gone eventually, and it isn't. So now they're stuck with it, and they're going to have to deal with it, and it's going to only get better. It's here to stay. Well, you see what I mean? The relationship between the government and the corporations is a relationship among corporations with the big fish looking at the little fish, the government saying, all right, little fish, do this. This is the way it has to be. Okay. For instance, the vaccine purchases. We haven't been able to do anything about homelessness anywhere in this country, but yet we can find $2 trillion just because we have to. You see, money is a figment of agreement of imagination. We imagine there is such a thing as money. It doesn't say pay to the bearer on demand anything anymore. It just says Federal Reserve Note. It's not really money, but we agree that it is. And so, therefore, if you give me a $5 bill, I accept it as a $5 bill, and it's worth $5, and I can go to the grocery store and buy things with it, $5. But is it really worth $5? Well, $5 10 years ago bought you what it now takes $10 to buy. So inflation exists because money doesn't. So money is symbolized by the coins, by the little digital blips on the computer screen that you see when you go to your bank account. That's why Bitcoin works, because what the blockchain is, is a series of agreements. Yes, 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 and yes. Take one and say no, all comes down. And if everybody likes it so much, then inflation begins to happen because it's worth too much and can do too much. And some people want more, so it gets inflation. Inflation comes from it. Well, I think I've kept you here long enough. So can you tell us a little bit about how everyone can work with you? And I saw that it said you're a life coach. Are you still doing that? Well, I am doing life coaching. I am moving more toward doing pretty much only that um, insofar as astrology is concerned in 2022. Because what I have learned over these nearly 50 years is that maybe 70% of the readings or the people that I do readings for um, uh, come back again and again. Sometimes four, five, six times within a, I don't know, five-year period or something like that. So I looked at that and I said, well, what if I just were working with them as a life coach so that they have access to me by phone? They've got a situation. It's right in front of them. They don't know what to do, and they pick up the phone. I already know because they're a client and their whole astrological configuration. I can take a few minutes and do a little thing called horary astrology. 
by noting the time my phone rang and seeing what their question is and then running a chart for that moment, comparing it to their chart and say, well, okay, I think what you really need to do here is this. If they won't let you do that, then the second best choice is this. But don't do that. Don't do this other thing. So yeah, I'm moving in that direction. Right now, I'm doing two or three readings every single day through the end of the year, and I'm compiling a wait list for 2022 for for the individual readings. So I think I'll be probably working with people more along life coaching uh, than just doing a single reading for them. It's a little more expensive because I have to I, I have to be on 24 seven. I mean, a life coach, you're in, you're in Beijing, you're in Vietnam, you're in Dubai, you're in South Africa, you're in Egypt, and there it hits, and you got my number, boom. Yeah, I have to set some parameters, but on, on the whole, it would be something more like of a monthly retainer. I think that's fair. I'm not looking to make a fortune, but there's a lot of my life that has gone into becoming this astrologer. It is. Answer this question. That's okay. a very interesting way to put your talents into use. I like it. I think it'll be very helpful to people. So Excellent. one last question. What sure. happens if you figure out your life purpose, but then you don't do anything about it? Do you have to keep reliving the same life again until you finally do it? Or you're talking about past lives and future lives and all that, mm-hmm. right? Well, you know, I don't really know where I stand with that to be able to say unequivocally anything. I can say that life is a universal factor. It moves in and out of different forms and shapes and bodies of this and that. Now, while in my body, this biological body, my spiritual DNA soul is unable to get the ego-gratified biological entity, Ray, to do anything, then the biological entity doesn't do anything. And it lives and dies according to biological energies living and dying. But life is what the cosmos is. It doesn't have a previous life and a future life. It is only in the human genome that time exists. Time does not exist for Alligators, ants, bees, hornets, elk, fish, salmon, orcas. So the business of do we keep doing this over and over again? Who's the we? Who is the me that is doing it over and over again? Just life. Well, there is a possibility that a person can be able to build a mental being that they are, be a strong, clear, mental being, this is me, that can live after death of the body. Because the mind is not yours. It's the mind of the cosmos. The cosmos is a huge mind. And our thoughts emanate or exist within it because we are that cosmic mind thinking of us. What would it be like? You can sit there and think of yourself sitting on the beach watching the sunset right while you're talking to me. The cosmic mind can dream of humanity. And so we become, because we become a thought in the mind of, call it God. So, no, you're not doomed to, if you fail to line your biological 
social-cultural identity up with your spiritual need. You know, you just uh, live part of your life very empty. You might meet it as you die, this emptiness. But who is dying? It's the body. The mind can maintain its integrity within the mind of God is God saying, I like this. Not choosing you, but just you, you worked at it and you created an image of yourself that can live past the physical image and being of your body. So it's life that tries again. It's life that comes back after winter. It's life that springs up from the earth reaching toward the sun. It's life that animates you and I. It's life that the sun creates. So no, I, I, I don't think it's anything to worry about. You just do the best that you can do because very often that is your life purpose to get to the next station in their spiritual development. As a human, as a spirit on a human journey, the human part doesn't always have to know everything that there is to know. They have to know just what you need to do and then either try to do it or say, nah, that's not for me. You know, I'm a basketball person. I don't like watching baseball. So you live your life. And the entity that you are continues onward. And the entity that you are is the cosmos. So it creates another person to try that out. And the cosmos has this thing called the Akashic Record of everything that has ever been done by every person, any person, all of them. It's recorded. There's a mark. Scientists like um, Stephen Hawking, bless his soul, he's long gone now, have described uh, the event horizon of so-called black holes as something where if you were to fall into it, the essential you would stick to the outside and the energy that had made that you falls into the black hole. So that the you uh, and I of everyone in the galaxy is plastered information-wise, digital if you want to call it that. The information of everything that's going on in the galaxy is at the event horizon of the black hole. So he crosses into spiritual stuff when he says that because it has to do with the idea of the Akashic Record, which is something that I'm not fully familiar with the origins of that idea and that practice of reading the Akashic Record, but the physical cosmic world filled with black holes where the information that's going on around that black hole is um, contained on the event, event horizon. We as individual uh, living organisms are tiny little things. Compared to the ant, we're only maybe one billionth of an ant when it comes to the cosmos. And probably about the same when it comes to the center of the galaxy where the black hole is. So it's very easy for all of that information of everything that ever happened on in the galaxy to be plastered on the event horizon. So. That's a little circuitous way of answering it, but those pieces of information are important to include in it because otherwise you're just dealing with egos wanting to know if they're going to have to go through all this crap again. 
Well, all right. Thank you so much for your time. And I will put all your information in the show notes. Oh, thank you so much, Kat. Thank you for listening to the show. Please show your support for the podcast by leaving a five-star review. Learn more about the show and what I have to offer you at katkatibi.com. Consider being a part of the new Patreon, where episodes are ad-free and you'll find extra bonus content. Send a voicemail question or email me. Check the show notes for more information. I had an episode a while back with Dr. Mona Fahum of Feminescence, and we spoke about Feminescence, Maca Harmony, and their Maca products. And if you're a woman who's ever had hormonal imbalances, if you're trying to come off the birth control pill, or even if you're going through menopause, this is a natural way to help ease that transition and to help balance your hormones. There's nothing quite like it, so go to Feminescence.com, enter code CAT15, K-A-T-1-5, for 15% off any of their single pack products, and definitely go check out the episode. Just search for Mona Fahum on my podcast and listen. You won't regret it. This podcast is for informational merrymakings and metaphysical purposes only. Statements and views are not medical advice. This podcast, including Kakatibi, disclaim any adverse effects by the use of information you may have heard. Opinions of guests are totally their own. This podcast does not endorse statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications, credibilities, or sanity. Individuals may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to on the podcast. If you think you have a medical problem, consult with a licensed medical physician, not just the spirit of your ancestors while on ayahuasca.